I have some reference material just in case. Oh my god, me too. Oh, I kind of hate the grandmother too. I kind of hate the grandmother too. You don't know that. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Anya. You'll notice that that's not Jason. This is just an extra episode we're doing, and I've, I've, I've asked my daughter to jump in. On this episode, we are going to be tackling X-Men, the animated series, from which ran from 1992 to 1997. A bit of an unexpected hit, but before we get into that, Anya is going to give us the cast notes and any production trivia that she's 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 gleaned take it away Anya well there's a lot to be said about this show and the making of it the history of the making of it is pretty interesting it came out in 1992 like you said yep. but one of the heroes we need to talk about uh and who's mainly responsible for the creation of the show is this woman woman Margaret Loesch Yep, yep. I don't know if that's how you say her name, but in the 1980s, Marvel created Marvel Productions, which is was their Marvel TV company. And okay. Margaret Loesch was the head of MP, and her favorite property of Marvel had always been the X-Men. Oh. So in 1987, she was like, we got to get this going. And I think that's when Pride of the X-Men, the first pilot came out, which was widely ill-received. Okay. Nobody was into it. Wolverine had the crocodile dundee it was it was not not as faithful as you would have liked no no many years before that in spider-man and his amazing friends the x-men make a cameo Mm-hmm. And Wolverine had an Australian accent in that episode as well. You may remember um, that was that was all Fox. Okay, okay. So that was like way back in the day. That that was like nineteen in the early nineteen eighties when Spider Man and His Amazing Friends was out. Yeah. Are you sure that was Fox? Let me see here. Fox interfered a lot, or tried to interfere a lot with the creation of X Men, the animated series. There were kind of almost too many cooks in the kitchen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which led to eventual budget cuts that ended the show. Okay, okay, okay. Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends ran from 1981 to 1986. I didn't realize it lasted that long. Was it made by Fox? I'm trying to see here. Who produced this show? Creators, Dennis Mark, Stan Lee, and Jack Kirby. I'm sure that that is not exactly how it's supposed to be. Um... Well, while you're figuring that out. Sorry, yeah, keep talking. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on here. All right, well, we're still talking about Margaret Loesch over here. Yep, yep. So there was the failed attempt in 1987, and then little-known Fox television became a thing, and the people wanted Margaret Loesch to go and work for Fox, and she became the director of the kids' television division, television division at Fox, and she again started pressing for the X-Men. Okay. Funnily enough... Fox also had Batman and they were fine to roll out Batman, but they were like, the X-Men are too dark and too adult for kids. No one will get it. Okay. But they were fully on board with Batman at the time. Weird. It is weird. So um, she kept going and the people at Fox were like, you're not going to drop this X-Men thing, are you? And she's like, no, I'm not going to drop it. And the guys there were like, so will you like risk your career on it? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, so like if it fails, you're fired. And she was like, hell yeah. Okay. So she put together a team. We've got the production artists, Will Minute, Munot, however you say that name. Okay. Um, Larry Houston. Those are the main production artists that did all of the drawings that would become the animation. Um, then we have Graz Entertainment, who was like the production company. And that was run by uh, the Grazianos, who had worked with Margaret in the past. And Saban Entertainment did like the supervising. Okay. And then we've got other team members, Mark Edens, who was one of the head writers, and series consultant Bob Harris, who was a and someone that worked over at Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Harris. 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 And then Erica and Julia Lewald are television writers and they wrote X-Men the entire for the whole five years. Oh, do they really? Okay. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of like production credits or, or writing credits on IMDb. Like 
like they wrote kids television for a really long time. Okay, quick, let me cut in real quick. Spider-Man and his amazing friends broadcast on the national broadcast, uh, something or other, NBC. So it wasn't, I don't think a Fox show, but it was a Marvel production show. Mm-hmm. So so there's that. Uh, and so I'm sure that your Margaret Loesch is involved in that as well. And so, yeah. anyway. I just I was just saying that because later on, Spider-Man was a Fox show. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. But um, when the show came out in 1992, X-Men was the biggest comic at the time. Claremont and Lee had just sold the highest selling issue of a comic book ever. And no one has surpassed that to this day. Yes, yes. And that was X-Men volume, volume 2, issue 1. Yes. And speaking of Jim Lee, iconic comic artist that he is, we have him to thank for almost all of the designs in the show. Because with volume 2, he really reimagined everybody and kind of changed the outfits around. I can see that, yep. The artists for the show really pulled on his designs from the comic books. Uh, and the X-Men comic originally de- debuted in 1963, but at the time, nobody was kind of getting with it, and it died off in the early 70s and was only being bought in reprints. Yep. Then it was resurrected in 1975 because X-Men reprints were selling a lot overseas, which is what led to the idea of a more international team, which is where we bring in Storm and Wolverine and Colossus and Thunderbird. Okay, okay. Some of those characters, one of them isn't in the show, Thunderbird. Yeah. Um, when the creators and the team were working on the show, they were like, let's let's set up a core team. And originally it was going to be Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Rogue, Jubilee, and Gambit. And you know, we're missing a couple people. We're missing Morph, we're missing Jean Grey, and we're missing Professor X. Yes. Well, they realized that without, oh, and we're also missing Beast. But the writers realized they couldn't make the stories work without these other team members. Members. Mm-hmm. And they also realized they needed an X-Men they could kill. Oh. It was originally going to be Thunderbird. But then they were like, we can't kill the only Native American person on the team. Okay. So they went for a little known character, Morph, which I didn't know was actually a comic book character. Yes, he until was. I read this handy dandy, the art and making of the animated series. Yes, yes. Morph Written by Eric LeWald and Julia LeWald and can be found on Amazon.com for a very reasonable price. I have my copy with me here as well or probably at your local comic book store or at your local comic book store yes give money to the brick and mortar if you can Morph was a character who sacrificed himself in 1968. Yes, yes. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm sorry you didn't know that. I I know my X-Men trivia. Uh, Oh, really? But I did, I I did know that. Uh, I knew that he died. Uh, Anyway, we'll get to, we'll get some more of that stuff here in a minute, but I was, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, I don't know if I did. No no worries. You did not. So before, when they were still in pre-production, Fox was like having some issues and was going to say, you got to restart all of this and they were like on a really tight schedule and if they restarted all 13 episodes they weren't going to make it so i think it was will minyat i don't know how to say his name but he wrote a letter of purpose back to fox and was like we're not gonna change all these things you're saying because the main purpose of this show is why do the x-men exist and what does their future hold kind of like what kind of world is it that these people have to exist and they were like everything else is going to fade to the background like we're going to have it doesn't matter what governments come after them or it doesn't matter who is like feeling iffy about the subject material the x-men are the main focus of this and that's what we're going to do okay so that i thought that was pretty cool but i was reading that no one really predicted that it would last past a season one season and that yeah. that uh in fact it was one of the more rushed productions which sort of explains the what i thought was not so i i of course saw this one it first came out and I was not an early adopter if I'm being honest I did not like it back in 1992 I was an avid X-Men reader I was the person for whom this cartoon was actually made um, and it should have been a slam dunk for me but I didn't like the artwork because it seemed a little sloppy like the animation seemed a little sloppy and there were some other things that I didn't like about the way they portrayed the characters and we'll get into that in a little bit but I remember gutting through the first season and I watched it pretty regularly because I am an X-Men fan and during the 90s uh, there was a time where it was pretty lean years for Marvel fans who wanted some live action or animated content. So we watched what we could. I did not 
like the art and I didn't like some of their some of the ways they depicted the characters in that first season. So I never paid that close attention to it. And then, of course, that same year, Batman, the animated series comes out over at uh, Warner Brothers. And I think they showed it on the Fox Network, too. But 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 I really liked the fluidity of that art a lot more. And I thought that I thought that it was a little more faithful to the to the source material. Um, I've since sort of changed my mind about that. I mean, no, not about the Batman show, but about the X-Men show. Uh, Not so much about the artwork necessarily, but 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 I do have a lot more respect for some of the other decisions that they made. But yeah, rushed. They didn't expect it to last past the season. Take it away, Anya. They also had a really low budget. That yep. And frustratingly, the more successful the show became, the lower the budget became because yeah, Fox wanted to um, reduce costs and create more profits. Okay. So a lot of people have talked about this. This is like I said, part of why the show came to an end after season one. They had a contract for. 65 episodes but the show was so popular they signed on for one more season but the last season the budget was drastically cut so that was kind of it before we get to all the reasons why the show came to a close I thought it was cool learning that production artists Houston and Munat looked at a lot of Japanese anime laser discs for inspiration and they also looked at a bunch of Miyazaki storyboard books Okay, because they were trying to get they called this like their show like dense storytelling whereas batman the animated series had 200 shots per episode mm-hmm. the X- x-men had 500 or 400 shots per episode yeah. so it's a lot faster paced and they didn't do they focused focused on not doing shots of people walking places like we're gonna we're talking about going to a destination the next scene they're in the destination and they're fighting like there's okay. not a lot of establishing shots or it's just like we're here and then we're there and you're just following along. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And in January of 1992, the show was number one as soon as it came out, which people were not expecting. No, it was hugely popular. I think that, yeah. now maybe you can speak to this. I thought this was maybe the reason why the, I think it became more popular, uh, but the Spider-Man animated series came out shortly after this, right? Or was that before? It came out before. Oh, did it? Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, well, the, if the, it was canceled before. Sorry, I'm not sure which one came out first. Yeah, let me look at it. Um, Go ahead. Uh, but, but I know that Marvel had these two smash hits mm-hmm. and no, it came out. It looks like it came out after. So Spider-Man, the animated series uh, launches from 1994 to 1998. Okay. So that come out. So, so the X-Men animated series, I think, uh, I think we have that to thank for this, you know, pretty decent Spider-Man cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm surprised that, that you said that Fox cuts the budget in season five a lot. But the other thing that happened with the X-Men cartoon that I remember because I collected these and now you collect them was the 1990s X-Men action figure line. And I think that that's one of the things that really sort of revol- started to revolutionize the action figure market. I could be wrong about that, but I could see that. But they had so many different action figures for this show X-Men and then they had a ton for the Spider-Man show that were pretty playable I thought uh, they had a great deal of playability I guess you might say I wasn't really playing with them at the time I was in high school but but I was collecting them you know and occasionally I would have an adventure uh, with my figure sturdy little hunks of plastic they were very sturdy hunks of plastic they didn't have like the massive amount of points of articulation though that was starting to be something that they started to highlight with that with those lines yeah 18 points of articulation and then of course now it's like you know it's a human body <laughs> so so yeah anyway I, I, it seems like fox might have shot itself in the foot a little bit which it sometimes seems to do with these properties yeah but anyway go ahead um well yeah it came to a close in um some year 1997 or 1998 let me back it up here i'll find out for us <laughs> uh so to reiterate uh the series ran from 1992 to 1997 okay. oh, also audience sorry audience, i didn't really prep for this very much uh we just wanted to talk about this series and uh because it's a great series maybe maybe it's a great series i think sure. we're doing great well we're doing great but they usually popular first season right out of the gate it was a it was a slam dunk well that was a lot of the production and team stuff that i was really fascinated by like i said it came to a close and 
Fox canceled the series for a couple of reasons. One of them being that Marvel controlled two of their most popular shows at the time. So Marvel had a controlling interest and they didn't like that. Okay. And it wasn't canceled per se. It was just that Fox continued to cut the budget until there was no more budget left and they couldn't continue working. Uh, So it was like a slow cancellation. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was interesting to learn a bit about uh, all the work that went into creating this show for so many years. Tell us about the cast. Read read the cast, the iconic cast. Let me tell you about the cast. Wolverine, my favorite, was played by this guy named Cathal Dodd. And he was a jazz singer. (laughs) The lady that played Jubilee, Allison Court, and everybody who knew Cathal Dodd said that he was like a real tough guy. Okay. Like Allison Court said that he was like, he was like Wolverine in in person. He was protective, nice guy. Um, Beast was played by George Buza, who came from Shakespeare acting, I think. Okay. And guess what else he's been in? He's been Uh, in, he was in the first X-Men live action movie. Was he? He played the guy that drove Rogue to Canada. In oh, the- that, you know, I, I saw his picture today. It was funny because I thought he looked a lot like Kelsey Grammer who would go on to play the live action beast in the film. Yeah. Right but that's cool. That's cool that he was in that. That is pretty cool, right? Yep, yep. Um, Cyclops was played by a guy named Norm Spencer. Rogue was played by Lenore Zan. Now she is in some Canadian governmental position okay. right now or something. And she talks about how when, when guys she works with who are all in their 40s find out she played rogue they kind of do whatever she says so it's been pretty helpful for her and her government position i guess nice nice jean gray was played by a woman named katherine disher okay gambit was played by chris potter now i'm guessing that he wasn't really cajun he doesn't look cajun in the in the film (laughs) he looks like a i don't know just like a normal dude (laughs) but he doesn't he tries to do a cajun accent uh in the show and uh, that was a sticking point for me in 1992, if I'm being honest. I, I think it still continues to aggravate you to this day. It does, in fact. It does. <laughs> I get really mad at that. Um, so you see the Gambit, uh, the Jim Lee designs in all of the Gambit storylines, uh, especially when they go to the Bayou to deal with mm-hmm. the Guild and those things. That's all like, it's a, sort of a product of the 90s, but Jim Lee was participating in some of those. Jim Lee was brands. a product of the 90s also. He was, he was. Oh, Storm was played by, um, I think maybe two women, um, Allison Seely Smith and Iona Morris. I'm not sure. That was just what I found online. Yeah, and that's the cast i didn't include professor x sadly but no uh, let's see if i can find the the guy who plays professor x actually in the show sort of is, is also bald cedric smith is the guy who played charles xavier right. he's in 75 episodes incredible i think that's all the episodes might have been all the episodes <laughs> oh there's you said allison court as jubilee yeah jubilation lee i'm afraid yeah. audience that allison court does not look even a little bit korean in her <laughs> in her in her uh portfolio picture what are they call that her headshot i guess you would say the animation company acom was actually that they outsourced their animation to is in south korea actually i'm not surprised i know that like a lot of animation uh american animation at the time was shipping their they were having their animation done by korean animation houses batman the animated series did the same thing Um, yeah i didn't know yeah i mean all the designs were bruce tim and i want to say darwin cook had a hand in some of the designs of the old batman animated series but bruce Mm -hmm. tim mostly yeah and but they, but they sent all their their work to be done by the Korean animation animation houses because they, they turned it around pretty fast and they were I think cheaper than the Japanese houses of anime. Uh, but so that brings us up to the point of the first season. And my initial problem with the show was the low production values, I think, and sort of the the decision to not pick the characters that I wanted them to have in the show. Oh, I didn't immediately like the... So the show opens on Jubilee, and she's uh, sort of our entry into the world of the X-Men. She's a young girl. She gets her mutant powers. And at the same time, the political intrigues against mutants are also going on. And then she gets attacked by this these mutant-hunting robots called Sentinels. And and I, I didn't mind that so much, but I, I didn't I didn't quite like the, the animation in that first season, especially those first two episodes, which I think were Night of the Sentinels 
part one and part two. It begins on a two-parter, so it's a nice hook. And we meet all the major players of the X-Men in the in these first couple episodes. The other thing I didn't like about that first season, especially, was how many times Wolverine comes off looking like a chump in, in the show. And he's like, in the, it, this is something that seems so totally, uh, and maybe Anya can speak to why they did this. But so in 1992, Wolverine was becoming the also kind of as popular as Spider-Man. He had a comic book. He was popping up in everybody else's books. His series started, I think, uh, maybe a couple years before that his solo series and of course he was in the X-Men he was in Jim Lee's X-Men book he was in all the X-Men books he was even a member of the Fantastic Four for a little while I mean this is how Wolverine was everywhere well he's the best character in the group and he is always forced to carry the story so you know I can see why he kept popping up everywhere well you know I I I used to think that but I I think I have to push back against that a little bit because I I've been reading a lot of the old 80s and early 70s X-Men this past year and I was a little shocked at how he was wasn't the front and center character of the group. They would, they really played an ensemble game with the X-Men. So Storm would have a few issues where she would be the, and Cyclops would have a few issues where he was the focus. uh, um, And and it would go like that through the characters. And I really liked that as looking back, uh, which I didn't read all those issues when I first started collecting comic books. By the time I jumped in, Wolverine was certainly one of the the front and center characters uh, of the X-Men book. I started reading X-Men, I want to say in 87, 86, somewhere in that area. And then I would go get back issues, but I would start collecting. I started around just a little bit. I started collecting regularly the X-Men just before the Mutant Massacre happened. Whereas I started reading X-Men in the late 2000s. Yes, yes. But you you started reading those issues, I think. The issues I'm like, actually, no, you, uh, I don't know exactly what your trajectory through the comic book uh, world was. My first big, wow, comic books are amazing, was uh, Greg Pax uh, and Planet Hulk. Yes, yes. I think, and, actually, it was through that that I ended up getting back into comics. Mm-hmm. Because you got so inter- in, into Greg Pax, Hulk, and, and his whole run on the Hulk. Yeah, third grade Anya was like, this is the most incredible shit ever. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, I was reading like modern day comics and then slowly got uh, like way more interested in uh, the Claremont era of the X-Men which is my jam my jam as well but yeah it was because I had a I had a I had a breakup with comics in around 95 98 somewhere in that area and then anyway you and I were watching some cool movies and 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 you got way into the Hulk and yep that got us that got me back into it too and uh, so thank you for that it was probably it was probably the Ang Lee Hulk movie that came out that I think you liked that movie a lot too when you were a kid, which is a little shocking because <laughs> I like it a lot too. I'm one of I, I defend the Angley Hulk quite a lot, but not everybody did. I remember you liked it, and anyway, you had good taste, but not everybody defended the Angley Hulk. So I didn't agree with necessarily that choice. Now I I started getting the X Men cartoons for you on DVD, mm-hmm. and I let you watch them. I didn't watch them with you, I don't think, because I I still didn't like them, and it wasn't until I think you'd you'd left for college that I started to watch them with Finn Mm -hmm. and he and I started to go through the season the season and and I'm sorry this is very me centric right now and I'll let you jump (laughs) in in a minute but but I was really shocked because as I was doing this I was also reading those old those those, you know giant size X-Men to Mutant Massacre that's what I've been reading right now uh, for for the past uh, well since you know the plague the plague started (laughs) And, and I was really shocked. And I kind of want to jump in on this with the writers of the show. I was really shocked by how much they pulled from the Claremont era to create their story arcs. It wasn't a one to necessarily a one-to-one adaptation, but it was really close. Like they do the, they do the Sentinels, they do Master Mold, they do the Brood, I think. They do the Hellfire Club stuff, which was really tricky because of all the lingerie. Um, they do Apocalypse. They do Days of Future Past. They do the Bishop storylines. They do cable. So they do a lot of some of the modern stuff, but they are also really mining the Claremont Byrne era really well. But so do you have any insight into how the writers approached adapting, you know, almost 40 years of storytelling by that point? Well, the writers were pretty intimidated because there was so much subject material behind this team. So they had, um, I think, a Marvel Universe handbook. They had like the encyclopedias that we have. Yes, yes, yes. They have, of course, had Harass Harris. Harris, uh, I think, was, yeah. 
Bob Harris, yeah. Oh, yeah, Bob. a consultant, and they just like kind of stockpiled all of the X-Men material they could and just read and took stories that they thought were important. Like they in um, the introduction or in chapter one of this of the art and making of the series, uh, talk about how they had to get all that stuff together and had to be faithful to this because they knew there could be backlash. Well, yes, you uh, they didn't do this during the Twitter era where they would have to hear about this a lot, which is good. No, but you could still get canceled. You could still get canceled. So I didn't notice this in the 90s because I was so annoyed by the show. The only the, the only storyline I remember being kind of jazzed by was the Hellfire Club Dark Phoenix saga because they, they actually did a really great job of, of like taking some of the panels, the, the animators and the writers almost do some panel for panel shots in that like when wolverine takes out oh, the thugs or the no no the the i don't want to what's his name he's he's the guy in the pink suit leland oh i don't remember uh, i have to look this up but but like uh earlier in the episode so this guy this this hellfire club mutant has the ability to increase people increase objects mass and when wolverine's trying to get him earlier in the episode he makes wolverine really massive and wolverine gets like dropped through a bunch of floors and into the sewers and they just think he's dead because they don't know the guy <laughs> and later on in the next episode that closes out the the Hellfire Club saga, the Dark Phoenix saga, or maybe it's just the beginning of it. I mean, they had some long arcs in the show, actually, that's, now I think about it. That's the beginning of it, because they got to go into space at some point. That's right. But Wolverine is tearing through a bunch of people, and he leaps off the balcony, and he goes after Harry Leland, I think is the guy's name. And he jumps off a balcony towards Leland, and this Harry Leland guy, I'll get his name in a second, but <laughs> starts to make Wolverine massive, and only too late realizes that Wolverine is about to crash down on him and then they both go crashing through the floor and I, I remember in the uh, in the original comic you think that Wolverine's killed him because you know when he pops up later on I think they even do this in the in the comic book when when Wolverine re-emerges and Cyclops was, says what happened to Leland and Wolverine says don't ask and Cyclops <laughs> doesn't ask um, you think well that's the end of that guy I keep wanting to call that guy Leland Gaunt but that's not his name I'll, I'll look it up go ahead uh, but but what did you think of that Anya I mean like so you were talking talking about how the, uh, the 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 writers really were intimidated by the material. Yeah, well, they knew they had to get it right. And then this was also like Margaret Loesch's last chance at the X-Men. Otherwise, if it wasn't success, Fox was going to fire her. Oh, wow. Um, so that was the deal they had. Um, but I would say that my experience with the show was a little bit opposite to yours because I hadn't read up on all of the X-Men lore when I started watching it. So when I started reading the comics, so the older comics, it was really cool to see see oh my god that happened in the cartoon oh my god it happened just like this in the cartoon yeah and yeah that was that was really cool but I, I did have the experience of seeing the show and and loving the show for the show and then reading the comics and then being like more amazed because they pulled so much from the comics and um the production artists also talked about how layout for like single panels in the show was more important than action and stuff because they knew that wasn't going to get animated super well so yeah there so that kind of makes me think like they were thinking about comic book layout and stuff because they knew that like more stationary panels were going to be important and have impact and they, well, they needed to look good well i think that it's interesting that the that the creators did such a good job with their low budget because as i as i think about it i remember there was a cool episode where they where i thought they were finally figuring out i think it was in the first season but they were finally figuring out how to use wolverine but i can see now and i'll describe the scene in a minute but they must have been also kind of manipulating the budget because so there's a scene where Wolverine and Gambit are trying to run away from Sentinels and Wolverine pushes Gambit out of the room and the lights go out and he's he's going to hold off the Sentinels and then all we get are these flashes of action and you know there would be some kind of the the scene would be illuminated by the rays the the blast rays of the of the Sentinels but but you'd only get like a snippet of action right mm -hmm. and so like that's less to draw and less to animate yeah right? and so so now now, I mean, I'm even more impressed with the show, thinking about how they were pretty ingenious in using using the comic panels as a guide to limit the need to animate things. Yeah, and I think your your complaint about Wolverine uh, starting off as kind of a chump, like he is this impressively violent and skilled figure in the comics. You can't like necessarily translate that into a kids' cartoon in the '90s. No, so no, they were I, having I... him fight like robots and like not human.
humans and if he was fighting humans you couldn't chop them up like you can in the in the books so but there were a couple of areas where they were they and towards the in the later seasons they were figuring out how to use him a little better but there was a there was a neat there was a neat segment in the savage land where he goes to the savage land with all the x-men and they kind of lose their powers because of the plot device that took their powers away for that episode but <laughs> some of his some of his some of his abilities have nothing to do with his mutation because his, his adamantium and his claws and even to some extent i think his his physical attributes because they're kind of hard wired into him you can't like so 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 maybe he can't heal as well as he used to be able to but you're not going to be able to like necessarily get rid of all of his muscle or his speed or his even his ability to smell and stuff like that because those are like those mm-hmm. are all genetic kind of biological properties of him and he was the he was sort of the the go-to guy in the savage land episodes because he was the only one who still had powers or who had some powers and and a lot of his skills didn't depend on him i thought that episode was great but yeah i i liked i i i liked that back in 90 in the 90s i like it more now but but i i was really impressed with how as i was watching this with finn my son audience as i was watching this with him i just was like amazed at how many storylines they brought in i mean they brought in the fucking shire <laughs> and they did all the crazy space stuff you know yeah i was just really impressed with that i was thinking earlier about how this um this low budget show from the 90s managed to do a more faithful adaptation of the comics than all like 10 x-men movies that have come out it's true not, not counting one and two which are the only ones i could in good conscience recommend yeah, okay okay <laughs> uh, you couldn't recommend Logan? Uh, well, I guess Logan. It is isn't an. It's not an X Men movie. It's Wolverine movie. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. Of course, I could recommend Logan. Okay, okay. <laughs> making sure, just making sure. But I, I like the first two films quite a lot. X-Men. Yeah, and then every time they try to tackle um, the tragedy of Jean Grey, everything just goes off the rails and explodes. Yeah, yeah. But- they- they drop the ball every time every single time but this show doesn't do that it never no no i i i have to say I, I had to eat my hat as i was watching with finn i was like i should have watched this back in 1992 mm-hmm. but i did not so that brings me to the next big development disney's bringing it back yeah what do you think they're going to do i i think they're going to have to update the animation a little bit i don't think they're going to go cheap skate on that but i think they'll probably stick with a lot of the designs i honestly would love to see like an homage to this animation style yeah like updated animation you can animate action this time yeah you can animate hard to to draw things but i i really like the character design and i like the shapes and all of the figures and stuff and think it would be cool to see an updated version of the original designs like so i don't want them to go like super anatomical or gotcha gotcha what if they what if they took an approach like the new kevin smith he-man where you've got like basically the same design as the 80s show but they're definitely a little updated a mm-hmm. little the, the 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 rendering is all a little better but it's still basically the same yeah. designs what i'm saying like i would love to see these characters in a um restored format i guess gotcha gotcha okay i could do i could do with that i would also like to see some some way to since so much leans on claremont and Byrne, i would like to see maybe some of the anatomy of john Byrne's art incorporated i mean they do try and do a little bit of that and maybe not for nothing i mean jim lee does seem in some ways like a, a, a maybe a, a more versatile john byrne and so i mean john byrne has great he does action very well he does figures very well often his figures look the same sometimes don't let him hear you say that no no he he used to take quite a beating in the some of the marvel uh bullpen stuff where they would be like uh my favorite joke about byrne was this panel that had like a bunch of john byrne portraits it had like Henry Pym. I can't remember all the different characters, but it was all the same panel, but it just yeah. had different labels. And I could see how Byrne does take himself. I, I, I'm sorry, John, if you listen to the show. <laughs> Sometimes do take yourself a little seriously, but I love your art. And so don't get mad at me for saying that. Uh, so having having talked about how they've covered so much of the Claremont burn era what do you think the new series should do what what storylines did they not hit in the 90s that you think they need to hit in the 2000s well what what story arcs do you think they should hit mutant massacre fall yeah. of the mutants age of apocalypse give me some wolverine and madripoor give me some omega red some that's i think my favorite arc in the jim lee x-men series when we learn a little bit more about 
about Wolverine and that team, Sabretooth, mm-hmm. Silver uh, Fox, Maverick. If it was me, it would yeah. be all Wolverine oriented. Everyone else would be in the background. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I don't agree with that. <laughs> but I, I think I agree with most of I agree with all of what you said. In my heart, I just really want an X-Men, I mean, not an X-Men, a Wolverine animated series. That would be and good. Like, that would be good. Like an adult one. Yes, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I would watch that. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. Like One day, Wolverine! One day, someone <laughs> will finish, finish what I started. Okay, so I like all those suggestions. I would do mm-hmm. their Tangles with Dracula, because they're just oh, crazy yeah. off-the-ball shit. Awesome. There was a... What else was there? There was a... It was this really weird two issue thing where I can't remember what issues they were like late just before they before the book started hitting the 200s the number numbers 200 and up I mean to say audience but around 180 or 190 somewhere in that area there was this really funny little story arc that just like starts in the middle of a crazy adventure where some magic user has basically turned New York into the ancient world like some kind of like Dungeons and Dragons thing and all the like everybody's sort of lost their memory of who they were but they're basically still the same people like Captain America is in New York. There are a lot of Avengers in New York when this happens, and he he's like a knight, and it's just like kind of a crazy storyline. In some ways, it's a little reminiscent of the Vision. Uh, uh, Scarlet Witch Vision show mm-hmm. where she's created this little fantasy world for herself and this this wizard has done the same thing and he's trying to take over. There's some some Savage Land stuff that they haven't they haven't really dove into from the 90s show but they've been to the Savage Land so you could do that. I think it would be cool to incorporate some of the uh, tangles with S.H.I.E.L.D. That yes, yes, yes. Have. I was also thinking uh, it would be cool if they attacked the, the foreign issue miniseries about magic that Claremont had in the X-Men. Yes, yes. That's one of the best four issues ever. Well, I, I agree. I agree. I didn't expect to like it as much as I I, I did. Folks, Anya's referring to a four-issue miniseries about a character named Magic. She was uh, Ilyana Rasputin. She was the sister of Colossus. And when she joins Peter in the United States, Peter's from Russia, uh, uh, she joins him as, at a very young age. But She's in a... Six or something. Like six, yeah, exactly. Um, which is when I started introducing Anya to the X-Men. <laughs> Audience, I want to kind of highlight what a great parent I was. I didn't get Anya dolls or anything like that. I always bought Anya Marvel action figures or Star Wars figures or DC figures. And other other people in her life got her those, those you know, Barbies. My mom, I think, got you a lot of Barbies, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you got me a Barbie once, but it was Batgirl. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I'm somewhat responsible in, in some ways for introducing her to this wonderful magical world of comic books. And it sort of led to her degree, uh, pro, uh, the degree that she took at university. Um, but anyway, uh, I just want to kind of sing my own praises for a second here. Where was I before I started bragging about myself? You're talking about how when Ileana Rasputin joined oh, yes, the X-Men, yes. she was six. She was six. She comes to live with the X-Men, which is probably not what you want to do. No, so because to live with the X-Men. She gets kidnapped by a demon yes and she spends many years in this demon's realm which is where we the the miniseries takes place and that is a whole crazy story about the loss of innocence and her having to accept the fact that she can never go back to the girl that her brother knew and that there's something new in her now that she can't get rid of and that there's an evil there that will be there forever yes and then when the x-men finally rescue her she's aged like she's like 16 when she comes yeah she's aged like 10 years and it's it's a crazy story it's a crazy story and i think that that's something they should definitely tackle the other thing I dig about that story is that we see a different path for Storm that we didn't really envision because yeah. there's this old woman in the in the show and it turns out to be Storm and uh, Storm is basically she's pursued her magical affinities and so she's 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 a sorceress in this uh, as, and her, some of her weather powers have taken a little bit of a backseat. She's not as precise with those anymore but you know she's not quite Doctor Strange level but she's really powerful in the I mean she's 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 existed in this evil realm and hasn't been tainted by it really yeah which shows what a strong uh character she is which is why i want to see in the x-men show i want to see them kind of bounce around a little bit be an ensemble show now i think it's got to be very much like star trek the next generation you're always talking about picard officer Riker, some of that core kind of wharf so you you definitely want to go back to those those 
those characters in the X-Men that, that really grab your attention. But I think Storm is one of those characters, so I'd like to see them explore her a little bit more. It would be cool to see 80s Mohawk Storm leading the X-Men. Yes, yes. She does, in the 90s show, she does fight the Morlocks and she becomes the leader yeah. of the Morlocks. And at the same time in the comics, I think she was around getting to be the leader of the X-Men. She's so the leader of the X-Men and the Morlocks at the same time. Yeah, which becomes this huge problem for her in the comic books because she's technically the leader of the Morlocks when all of the Morlocks get murdered. Not been the best leader there. No. That wasn't her fault. Nobody saw the nobody saw the, she, the, the marauders coming. She delegated. She, did. she mostly seems to let Callisto continue to lead them, you know, even after yeah. being here. All right, so so it's got to be the '90s show. They can't they can't do what they're doing with the Doctor Strange car the the What If cartoon. I think the What If cartoon is canonical to the MCU mm-hmm. because it looks like a character from that is crucial to the multiverse of madness. Yeah, and is- audience, if you haven't watched What If, pause the podcast, go binge the season, and then come back, and then you won't have any spoilers. But I think if I was going to have a Wolverine show I might want it to be somewhat more like what if than an homage to the 90s X-Men which is, which is to say I would like it to maybe lead into the new X-verse that seems to be brewing okay. in the MCU see I want Knights of or I want Madripoor Knights but animated <laughs> I, could, I, could, I, I would be all on board with that I wouldn't even mind I don't think they could do it on Disney they could have done it on Netflix but a Wolverine series uh, Madripoor you know what would be awesome now that I think about it how have the X-Men so here's the here's the problem for Marvel right now and we're kind of off track here but this is this is what this podcast is made for to go off the rails how have the X-Men existed in the MCU for so long without anybody knowing about them there are a couple different ways you could do this you could do the multiverse blending everything and now they're in the Marvel Universe you could also do the you could you could also do the fall of the mutants where everybody thinks they've died but in reality they really some magic user basically pulls a Doctor Strange from from Spider-Man. It is basically the same thing from Spider-Man and the yeah. uh, uh, the new Spider-Man movie where Doctor Strange basically erases a lot of people's memory of, of what of what of who's of who Peter Parker is. Maybe um, is. maybe the ancient one, Tilda Swinton, everybody, performed a spell for her bald-headed buddy, Professor Xavier. Ooh. And may the entire world forget the mutants exist. Ah, maybe so, maybe so. And maybe the new multiverse stuff is undone that spell. And so now that's how we know about them. But who knows? I would love to see a lot of the Madripoor stuff. I would love to see Wolverine and the Hulk get together. That's what I'm kind of excited. I've heard rumors, because I'm such an insider into the industry audience, um, <laughs> that, the, that that one of the things that, that Marvel's thinking about is a Wolverine Hulk movie. Fans have been approaching Hugh Jackman and have been getting on his tail about that. And he's he's denying it, but we know that means nothing. We know, we know that means nothing because, like, audience, I was a little sad because I was worried that the the MCU had forgotten about my poor friend Vincent D'Onofrio because of his Twitter feed. Oh, I would, on his Twitter feed, he was like, oh, I would love to come back and do some Marvel. I'd love to return to the role of Kingpin. And he was saying this as the Hawkeye show was being played before before Kingpin made his appearance. Audience, if you haven't seen that show, I can can only tell you to look out for spoilers. This is, it's well in the past now. I can't be responsible for your spoilers. <laughs> but you're right it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what people are saying and i think that hugh jackman and mark ruffalo would have a really fun chemistry i think they would too now do you think that they should do some kind of recreation of one issue hulk issues 180 and 181 i don't i don't know i i think if they're gonna go with hugh jackman i think hugh jackman is a little bit too old of a wolverine to do that meetup i would prefer to see like a joe fix it type thing okay 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 like a, they had a fun little meeting in Madripoor. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would prefer to see a team up that they're both not super into having to be a part of. I could see that, but I think you would. I think that whatever they do, they should reference that meeting. Yeah, they should mention it. They should mention it. I think that could be pretty fun. I'm hearing Hugh Jackman possibly has a cameo in Multiverse of Madness. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Well, they've been. I know they've been wanting to have him do a cameo. He was supposed to have a cameo in Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah. He's been supposed to have a cameo since the first Spider-Man movie came out. That's true. That's true. <laughs> since 2002. <laughs> so anyway, so those are some of our thoughts about the uh, what we want to see in the new series. And then, of course,
course, we got off the rails. Anything else you want to say about the X-Men show? Um, I wish there were more seasons. Yes. Now, now in the later seasons of the 1990s X-Men show, didn't they start bringing in characters from the, re- the broader Marvel Universe? I mean, there was it was always really good about bringing in X-Verse characters. But I remember there was like a, on the cover of one of the discs, and I don't remember this, but uh, it was Captain America. I think there was even a Hulk episode. I don't know if there actually was a Hulk episode. Okay. There was a Captain America episode, but I think I I could be totally wrong, but I think I always thought there was another season because the Hulk was on a cover and he yeah. wasn't in any episodes. I remember that. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe they just got, that's just a, a cell that never got made into a larger series of cells to make a whole episode of, right. of, of, of the show. But no, I I, I, uh, I don't think we're going to do it necessarily a verdict here, but audience, if uh, I think I can speak for Anya a little bit in saying that if you have a chance and you probably do you probably all have disney plus because you're probably all watching the book of boba fett and you're probably all enjoying all these new these new shows that marvel's putting out i mean sorry disney's putting out the x-men show the 90s show is playing there and you probably want to watch that so that you're ready for the new season okay okay here's a question for you voice cast do you think they should go with who should they go with should they try and find i'm sure some of these actors are dead from the original show and we don't ever want to have that terrible rogue southern accent ever again we don't want to have the the gambit the terrible bayou accent ever again (laughs) we don't necessarily even need gambit in the new show we definitely don't need gambit ever in the new show (laughs) no disrespect to chris claremont and jim lee but no no gambit Um, has always been kind of a dick yes he has been i just love the original x-men movies so much that i can't really picture voices for any of the characters besides like James Marsden and Famke Jansky or whatever her name is. What a great way to get those guys back into the show though. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be really cool. Yeah. Like uh, I know Patrick Stewart has said that he doesn't necessarily want to do Professor X again and and both he and Ian McKellen seem very confused by uh, Days of Future Past. (laughs) Um, I think Ian McKellen said, I don't think I knew what was going on in the (laughs) film. But I wouldn't mind, I think it would be fun to have those guys come back for the voice, the voice acting of the show. And, and they still sound as sharp as they ever did. I don't know if, audience, I don't know if you got a chance to do this, but when the plague began, uh, the, the terrible plague year began, Patrick Stewart did sonnets on his Facebook page. And he's a wonderful reader of Shakespeare. And because it was, of course, part of the Royal Shakespeare Theater for many years. And the guy knows his stuff. But they still sound great. I wouldn't mind seeing that cast back for a lot of this. Yeah, if it's, I bet you could maybe have a conversation with them if it's like a limited, it's going to be this set amount of seasons type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll find some. But if it's not those guys, I'm sure they'll find somebody else that sounds great. Because Marvel always seems to find these people. And Disney has the budget to find anybody they want, really. Yeah. You know, so the budget's going to be much bigger than it was when they were at Fox. Now, okay, I still got you, and we've got a few more minutes in the show. Do you have any ideas of the cast of a new X Men show for the MCU? We know that the X Men are coming to the MCU eventually. Do you have any any idea where you want them to start? What 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 X Men? What? Oh, here's the question. What X Men need to kick off the MCU X Men shows? Well, that's that's an interesting question because you could start with the original team, but then you would have to have quite a few movies, I think, to incorporate the team that everyone is most familiar with. Yep. And the original team started off as teenagers, which the James McAvoy Ian Fassbender movies did somewhat unsuccessfully, in my opinion. Yes. Yes. I'm. I think maybe maybe start with Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean start with Professor Xavier going around the globe and picking up all these misfits and saying, I lost my kids on an island. I need you guys to go and find them. And then picking up that crew. And then that just seems like a, a classic place to start. But yeah, yeah. The animated series didn't even explain how the team got together. They were just together in season I... one, which is something that we could do also. I agree. I 
with with let's say the x-men mcu movies i think i like that idea and then you could because then when you meet the original team which was who was the original team on you let's see if you know your shit <laughs> angel cyclops beast Iceman, and gene gray yes that's right that's absolutely right and so by the time we meet them they're kind of older and you could kind of flashback on that a little bit mm-hmm. you know i could also see them if they do this whole magical forgetfulness thing that you and i only know about um I could see them already having created their nation, which is like the oh, more Krakoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More present day comics, the mutants have created a nation solely of mutants and have kind of exited away from humanity. And I could see them also starting off like that. No, that that would be interesting too. I think if, I I think what they'll probably do though is maybe not that, but something like what we're saying here. Start with the new giant size X Men. That mm-hmm. that story arc and they save the original team and the original team has friction with the new team and they leave the and professor x has the new the new team gonna have to be a different cast i think i don't i i I really want hugh jackman to be in the mcu but i think i just i I would love to see him do a hulk movie with mark ruffalo but i think they're probably gonna have to go with a new cast which is challenging because it's hard to beat brian singer's cast yeah and now i've said audience and, and maybe you guys can chime in on I want to see Jeffrey Wright play Professor X. I I don't mean to make him play bald Marvel characters for the rest of his career, but I think Jeffrey Wright would be an amazing Professor X. I I agree with you. I saw an interesting blurb just before I started this podcast with you, Anya. Uh, I think it was on IMDb. They were making an argument that Denzel Washington would make a wonderful Magneto. Yeah. I would. could see, I, I I stumbled when I first read that and I thought, you know what? Yeah, I could he would be amazing. Yeah, he'd be great. He would be amazing at that yeah. role. And he's he's good in everything he's ever been in. So I mean, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Even in films that I haven't really been happy with. He's he, good in them. And he's been in. He's oh well, let's say he's good in it. Yeah. I'll say, you know. And so I could see that. I could absolutely see that. I don't have any other really big ideas uh for Storm uh, for some of the other X-Men, I mean to say. But I think Callisto should be played by is it Numi Rapace, the person from the, the girl with the dragon tattoo and the the, mm-hmm. the the original, not the I think that's her name. Yeah. yeah. That's Callisto, and I think that like she would be amazing as Callisto. It would be. I think that they should make Dave Batista play Sabretooth, just have him do a bunch of extra duty, you know, just just be all over the place. I th- I just think that would be a funny end joke. <laughs> you know, like it's being... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that uh, Drax? That's Drax, right? It's hard because a lot of the characters, a lot of the actors that I can see playing these characters are already in the MCU as other characters. It's absolutely true, which is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I like Jeffrey Wright as Professor X. And I, I have to say I am... I, I, I almost wish I hadn't seen that bit about Denzel Washington playing Magneto because now I can't get that idea out of my head of him being Magneto. Yeah. I don't want them to change who they've got playing magic right now. Oh, her name's Anya. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's hard to, I mean, hard to go wrong with an Anya, right? <laughs> well, you're looking at something, what are you looking at? I saw this thing the other day. Okay. Tell me if you hate it. Okay, I'm on it. Daniel Radcliffe as Wolverine. <sighs> You know what? I think he could be pretty good. I've seen, he got buff for a film recently. And you know what? I just got chills thinking about Daniel Radcliffe and Wolverine, <laughs> actually. I'm yeah. up for it, actually. I think, yes, 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 yes. Daniel Radcliffe as Wolverine. I like it. Emma Watson <laughs> as Gene Gray. Gene Gray. Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint as Banshee. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As Banshee. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Michael Gambone as Gamb- Professor X. <laughs> Ray Fiennes as... Oh, no. I, Ray Fiennes would make a good Professor X, too, actually. I said this in a previous podcast. Did you really? Yes. And I think Jason disagreed with me because he isn't bald. I mean, he was bald in the Harry Potter films. He was. Harry Potter! <laughs> 
and noseless. Just a quick aside, audience. Anya and I have gone off on tangents already on this podcast. When Ray Fiennes introduced his Voldemort in Goblet of Fire, I thought that was like a Hannibal Lecter-worthy entrance. I was amazed at how good he was as he who must not be named. Because that was a, I, I was really shocked at how impressed I was at that because that was a big moment. And if it fell flat, if he wasn't as, if he didn't seem as dangerous as that character is, you know, the, the, no, nothing else works after that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember th- when when he touches Harry's scar, yeah, it's amazing. And and when he and he and he and he relishes the pain that it causes Harry in that moment. What an exquisite actor Ray Fiennes was. <laughs> and 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 Daniel Radcliffe was right there for it. He was as good yeah. as I mean, he was. That scene also wouldn't have worked without him. Obviously, yeah. you know, Daniel Radcliffe is Wolverine. I'm I'm game. I love it. I think he'd be pretty great. He, he's probably pretty short. He seems he, short. He is really short. <laughs> and could you imagine him like, because like I said, he's gotten buff and, you know, he could hang out with The Rock like Hugh Jackman did. And He's 5'5", five five, only two inches taller than canonical Wolverine. And, uh, exactly. So if if you put on like 30 pounds of muscle, he would look frightening. Now, uh, audience, I've been shipping for uh, John Bernthal for Wolverine. So but, bad. But, but it sounds like they're going to have him do another Punisher thing, which I'm all for as well i think he's just too perfect as the punisher to even yes that's right that's right now back in the day i remember seeing the movie cape fear with robert de niro and i thought well there's your wolverine right there have you seen cape fear yeah fucking scary movie it's a very scary movie but there's this moment where he's sitting where robert de niro is sitting in the theater smoking a giant cigar he's got the sideburns he's almost got the hair Mm -hmm. he's definitely got the muscles and i thought well god what there's the movie <laughs> there he is. There's Wolverine. But alas, you know, Nick Nolte would have made a great saber tooth actually back in the day. Back in the day, he would have, yeah. You know, um, he does a great job as being Bruce Banner's father. Audience, go see Ang Lee's The Hulk. Go see that movie. It's got some beautiful art direction. You know, so the thing that everybody got got their uh, underwear in a twist, I don't want to say panties because that's probably sexist, but their underwear were all twisted up about the way that Ang Lee constructed the movie, which was to edit it as if it were a comic book. It goes from panel to panel. An audience were way off the rails here. We love the X-Men, but now we're talking about something else. But <laughs> And when I initially saw that, so the edit would go from, it would, it would edit like a panel, like a comic book panel. And I remember when I first saw it, I thought, well, this is just fucking stupid. It's taking, it's making me think that this is a, a comic book and not a real life thing, which is funny because comic books didn't make me feel that way, right? <laughs> this is real life. This is, this is, X-Men is real life. <laughs> but every time I've watched it since that initial viewing, I've been more and more amazed at how Ang Lee's edits affect the tone of the film and affect the emotion of the viewer the way a comic book does. And like, it, I, I can't, there's there's so many great ways in which it does this. And I just, I didn't see the genius of it at the time. And I just think that film is, it's very cerebral. Like some of the Hulk used to, some of the Hulk, sometimes the Hulk is very cerebral, despite the fact that it's Hulk smash. A lot of the recent Hulk stuff, Immortal Hulk was very cerebral. Absolutely. And and so the Hulk is this interesting palette where you can do anything really that you want because the psychology of Banner is so deep. Mm-hmm. But I I love Ang Lee's Hulk audience. Uh, I also, I love Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, but ever I since Ang Lee's Hulk, I still haven't, I have never gotten over losing Eric Bana as Bruce Banner. It's been rough. And Betty, uh, it, that's the best Betty that there's ever been. Yeah, it's true. What's her name? I, for, I forgot her name. Uh, but she's married yeah she's married to paul bettany um and she's in the mcu now too yeah she plays friday it's jennifer connelly jennifer connelly oh my gosh ang lee was the hulk in the movie he was was ang lee was the hulk yeah and and crazy and that's one of the things i really kind of dug about it because sometimes uh so in the oh gosh the second hulk movie which starred you just said his name ed norton ed norton you can kind of see how that hulk can fight a little more uh, uh ed norton's Bruce Banner's starting to do a little martial arts. I mean, he works out with Hicks and Gracie, right? 
right? Mm-hmm. In the in that film, so you can kind of see why he would why that Hulk would know how to punch and and throw people and do some fun stuff. But one of the things I like about the Ang Lee Hulk is that like Hulk doesn't know how to fight. Yeah, he's just rage and he's just and oh, Ang Lee like some of this. Like I remember watching Ang Lee do the mocap stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like it's good that you're nigh invulnerable, Hulk, and and stronger than anything that exists because you don't really know what you're doing. And like I, there's this really great moment in the uh, extra extended edition, not the extended edition, but the behind the scenes stuff where Ang Lee is fighting the dog. Oh yeah, that scene scared the shit out of me as a kid. You know, it scared Finn too. I don't think he's watched. I don't, he hasn't completed either of the Hulk movies because those movies scare him. He might be able to watch them now, but I don't think he's watched either of the Hulk films all the way through. He also preferred to watch Avengers Age of Ultron over the first Avengers movie because he hated the scene where Hulk is running after Black Widow and almost kills her. It's a very frightening scene. Yeah, it scared him. Well, it's a scary scene. I get it. I get it. Kid smart. Kid smart. Yeah. All right, audience. Anya, I think that's the end of the show. Uh, Verdict on X-Men. Should people watch it? Yes. Watch it with your kids. Watch it with your cats and your dogs. Watch it with yourself. And learn all about all the secrets of life or in the X-Men. That's what I've always thought, folks. I hope Um, you all leave this episode much more, what is the word? Edified. Spiritually enlightened. (laughs) What? smart i think hopefully so hopefully so um Uh, i i mean to say i hope you've learned a lot from this hour and 30 minutes that's right it'll be cut down audience i'm gonna uh edit all of anya's parts out um (laughs) anya where can people find you uh well you can find me at on solo on instagram i also have an art station account and if you want to hire me for commissions comic books poster work graphic design anything i just graduated college and i'm aspiring so email me at anyaldriffle at gmail.com. All right. Don't be creepers. Don't bother my daughter, creepers. And uh, hire her. The kid's a great artist. And so uh, you guys can find me at The Supper Test uh, on Twitter, where I say dumb shit pretty frequently. That's sometimes funny. You can reach me, though you guys never do, at lordmovies39 at gmail.com. Share us with your friends on the Twitters, on the Facebooks. Email us to your mother and your father and your aunt and uncle. Whoever you think would be interested in movies, comic books, science fiction, mindless chatter <laughs> all right oh. Anya you caught up on Boba Fett I'm not okay okay audience I'm going to recommend that you guys drop everything and watch the book of Boba Fett pretty exciting show uh what do you think people should be watching right now Anya I think you should be watching Forged in Fire right now <laughs> I don't think that's a bad suggestion all right night night everybody